Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. That's us. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> I'm Ben Harrison. We've got uh, hundreds, literally hundreds of podcast episodes under our belts, and we're getting worse at the technical part of it, Adam. I don't know what's happened lately. Uh, here's what hasn't happened yet. We haven't <laughs> lost a show. That's true. I want to put that on into the universe, but uh, lots of starts and stops lately on our Uxbridge Shimoda family of products. Uh, things aren't working like they used to. It's been a frustrating week for uh, internet speed, I guess, is the, the primary thing that uh, seems to be fucking shit up. The thing that I was told before I moved to Los Angeles was that uh, you're going to love Spectrum. <laughs> Spectrum's going to be uh, your favorite company. You're never going to have a problem with them. Uh, and so far, they are uh, solid as Sears. Mm. <laughs> I, and I should say solid as Sears right now. <laughs> solid as present day Sears. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. The I, I was on Spectrum for a long time and I'm on a fiber connection now, which... I like pretty good, uh, but it's like, it's one of these things where it's like, it's a little confusing, like what could even be causing the problem. Right. It's always a mystery. Tech support as our Marin. That sucks. Nobody wants to hear that. It really sucks. <laughs> we're, we're just going to unplug the episode and plug it back in and we're going to go full steam ahead. <laughs> well, so we're using the ancient technology of telephone to talk today. <laughs> So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully Rob doesn't have too much of a nightmare editing this junk together. Rob loves this shit. You know it. <laughs> so it's episode two of our of our 26-week marathon of, of brand new I Star thought it was Trek 23 so weeks. What the hell? Not the first bit of trivia I'm going to get wrong today. As we discuss the second episode in Star Trek Lower <laughs> Decks, season one, episode two. On voice. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons? Klingons? Those are Klingons? What the hell is going on on this ship? Ship? Haven't the slightest idea. And we get introduced to what I think is the A story, and then it is uh, quickly discarded for <laughs> for the real A story that happens just a scene later. It's so many TNG episodes begin with with a glowy, sparkly creature that that enters the ship through a bulkhead yeah. and tries to start some shit. Really playing on our nostalgia for TNG and then and then smashing it with a hammer because uh, Ensign Mariner sees this glowy ball and tackles it and extorts it for a fancy new tricorder with a purple stripe on it. <laughs> At the end of this scene, though, it goes into the captain. Yeah, I'm wondering, does that become a story that we follow over the rest of the season? <laughs> yeah, I wondered that too. Is this a spore droplet? Yeah. I mean, we don't know. There could be a, a creepy little girl walking around the ship sooner or later. Yeah, I mean, who would the captain's imaginary friend be? <laughs> Someone who's really encouraging her to get into trouble. 
Yeah. Captain's yeah. not getting into trouble, not by a long shot. There are there are troublemaking crew people in the lower decks, and that's gonna be what the A story is about. It's the it's the escort duty that Boimler's given uh, for General Corinne. He is busting. He's so excited about it. Guess which command ensign just scored the best assignment on the ship? Uh, Castro. We saw a little bit of this facility before, but this feels like the basement in X-Files, you know? <laughs> yeah. Fox Mulder was a lower decks guy in the FBI. That's true, yeah. Boimler really strikes me as the Benjamin R. Harrison of this episode, maybe for no other reason than his matching Klingon luggage. (laughs) I don't have matching luggage. What the fuck are you talking about? I aspire to have matching luggage one day, but I'm not going to do it until I can get the right stuff. It seems like a move that would be one of your moves. Like, like (laughs) I'm not going to bring up my matching luggage. I'm going to wait for General Corrin to bring it up in my presence as, as something that he's impressed by. That never happens, though. No, General Corrin is distinctly not impressed with uh, Ensign Boimler. One person that is impressed, though, is Ensign Tindy with the guy she obviously has a crush on, Ensign Rutherford. He climbs out of a Jeffrey's tube, totally geeked about some work he's been doing with uh, the EPS grid or something. Oh, yeah, he's been in there for weeks. Yeah. He loves that shit. Covered in axle grease, which... I guess they're uh, using a lot of uh, synthetic lubricants on the EPS systems, keep them running smooth. There's such an interesting conflict that is beginning to establish itself as the conflict that runs through all of our characters on this show. And that is like, what is the thing that makes me happy? And why isn't that making me totally happy? Because Rutherford is like a clam in a hen house in this Jeffrey's tube. (laughs) That old saying. (laughs) He has no reason to change lanes at all except for a a potential romantic interest with Tendi. But like this is a thing that Boimler is dealing with. It's a thing that Mariner's dealing with. It's sort of like the the lottery ticket problem. Like like how so many lottery winners end up being bankrupt after only a few years, it feels like that might be a similar circumstance to what those in the 24th century have to go through, which is what if you could have it all and do everything? And what if both of those qualities aren't enough to make you happy? This B storyline really takes that idea to the furthest logical conclusion because he does that thing of finding out that there's like a romantic opportunity for him but to take it, he will have to quit his job. So he marches down to engineering and does so. This is great. This is a refrain that we will get many times. The expectation of disappointment where none exists. <laughs> Consider your request granted. Oh, man. Yeah, I love that all the officers on uh, on this ship are like encouraging people to follow their bliss and, and do what makes them happiest. Starfleet has never felt more like a cult than it has in this episode, I think. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, could Jordy have done the same thing, you know? Jordy did do the same thing. Like, he was a helmsman in season one of TNG, and then he changed tracks to chief engineer. Like, he went from red to gold. 
But did he change tracks to engineer because he was like, you know, I like Helm, but I think my real passion is engine. And they were like, cool, attaboy, go go wrench on the engine. Or was it like, yee, this Argyle guy is not working out. Oh, I think it was that one. He saw Biff Yeager light his career on fire in a, in his star wagon and was like, well, next man up. <laughs> The Klingon general piloting mission is literally just like fly him down to this planet in a previa and uh, Boimler shows up in his dress uniform with the matched luggage to do so and finds Ensign Mariner like pigging out on like what looks like, I mean, it looks like she's got like some ramen that is restaurant grade and some that is cupo noodles grade. Do you think if you're a Klingon and you're on a long-term mission, there's cupo gach? <laughs> so when you can't get fresh, mm. sometimes you settle for cupo gach. Yeah, just add boiling blood wine. Right. If you had a replicator, you don't have to choose between the miso and the shoyu, right? Like you could just you can get all the kinds of ramen. I'm concerned about Mariner's sodium intake in this scene, especially if, <laughs> if she's going to be doing some heavy drinking later. You want to you want to end your night with a salty broth. I don't think you want to start it out that way. She is putting a lot of carbs in her belly, which I feel like could be good for soaking the booze up. Fair. Maybe that's the strategy. Like she is thinking about the marathon of drinking she has coming up. She's laying down a base layer, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that's smart. If you drink blood wine, like a lot of blood wine, is it like eating beets where mm. you wake oh, up yeah. the next morning and you look in the bowl and it is just a total bloodbath <laughs> in there and you think you're dying? Uh, yeah. And I have the same question for Gach. Right. <laughs> is it possible for those worms to survive the, the trip through the elementary canal? Yeah. I mean, the morning after a, a Gach buffet, you probably don't even have to strain you just yeah. sort of let it fall out of you like a, a crab basket being pulled up, up onto a, a crabbing vessel. <laughs> so we meet this uh, this Klingon general. He comes aboard the shuttle and Boimler attempts a very formal greeting, which is cut short because Mariner flies through the air and like jump kicks the Klingon in the face. They get in a little a little fight, and it turns out they're old pals. They've uh, they've even gone on missions together. They go way back. They're blood bonded. Ben, they've done the the knife to the hand thing. Yeah, this is a real drag for Boimler because like this was supposed to be his mission, and with her getting transferred over onto it, it's now really her mission, and he is the co pilot. Uh, and then he has to do all the like shitty work while she sits in the back drinking from a flagon. You see Boimler have the expectation of making a new friend or or having a successful mission. The idea of 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 being cut in line for those expectations yeah. by a competitor <laughs> is so painful. And you really feel that with him in a weird way. Yeah. Like for as funny as this show is, it's almost like it's almost office like in its sprinkling of tragedy throughout. Right. Yeah. Like the comedy comes from the indignities he's suffering. Absolutely. This is like Kevin's chili. This is that moment when, when Boimler realizes there's no chance for him to develop a relationship with Corin. He's the valet. 
Yeah, this is going to suck. Like, and, and the indignities, like, don't stop. Like, he gets drenched in spat out blood wine while he's trying to uh, key in the uh, the landing code for the planet. Uh, they throw a knife at him that narrowly misses and hits a bit of the instrument panel. Like, the day does not go well, Enterprise. And it sucks when you're the designated driver and the people in the back are just screaming orders at you like, Taco Bell! <laughs> yeah, or Klingon District! The Klingon District is like the Taco Bell of of any planet, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's going to have a lot of food options uh, for for your drunken passengers. And so they put her down in the Klingon district, and it feels a lot like the international district of any major city. Yeah, there's a there's an archway that definitely gives, like, the gate to Chinatown in San Francisco vibes. Uh, there's mm-hmm. also some, like, light racism. <laughs> like, Ensign uh, Mariner suggests that they'll have to get the shuttle cleaned after being in this neighborhood. I didn't pick up on that at all. I, I just feel like uh, if you were to park your vehicle next to a campfire... Your vehicle with open windows would smell like campfire after. I think it's a bizarre type atmosphere with lots of smelly foods and and smelly other things. They do comment on the smell of the Klingon district, and it made me really wish I knew what that meant more. Oh, I think you have some idea. As someone who's had a gym towel thrown in their face, (laughs) I'm sure sure you know all about it. As somebody who has pooped on a sword... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they show the sword in the background of that shot, and it, it does not have any evidence of the poop on it, and that, I felt, was a bit disappointing. Right. So Telgana 4 is a place that uh, is protected by an ion field, and it means you can't transport or communicate in a way that you might expect if you are a Starfleet. So that presents all kinds of problems when uh, Corin steals the shuttle and makes away with it leaving Boimler and Mariner behind. I, I thought that the animation on the shuttle, like drunk driving in three dimensions, is something that I've never seen before, and I really liked what it looked like. It's got that smooth Futurama animation going on that's just very pleasing. Yeah, the the like cell-shaded 3D animation that's peppered in with the 2D animation. It's a really good-looking show. So their first stop is like a uh, a Klingon food stall. Uh, this lady serves, it looks like she's got like several different kinds of gach for sale. There's some blue gach and there's some purple gach and there's some pink gach. And uh, she's, she's trying to serve them. They're trying to find out where the general went. And uh, she's very concerned that they might be like tracking him or cops or something like that. This is an episode that is all about misunderstanding being the conflict. Misunderstanding and like just a classic lost and found type story mm-hmm. that that is a great motivation for our main characters to introduce us, the viewer, to this new world. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a manipulation because because that's just what the story needs to function. We've seen a couple of bizarre type environments in disco, and I liked seeing this one, uh, like having some Kalons in there, like a, the kind of alien that Mr. Timison was. Place a dreadful burden on the children. Right. 
Uh, there's no public urination in this scene as there was in disco. <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody's whipping them out. They also run afoul of uh, a taxor type of alien that is very angry and uh, Boimler fails to communicate with this taxor. I'm not sure what happened with the whole uh, universal translator thing, but uh, this begins just a big pile of incidents where Mariner kind of knows something that Boimler doesn't or has some kind of capability that Boimler doesn't have that gets them out of the scrape. So he's trying to communicate with the taxor. The taxor attacks him. She throws the taxor's wallet and they get to escape. It's just a a series of further indignities for him. Over and over again, it's experience winning the day versus book learning. Right. Like Because Boimler always attempts to do the thing that he learned by reading about it. And Mariner always wins the incident by virtue of her experiences. Yeah. And starts to imply that, I mean, like we knew that she served on five ships, but we get the sense that her experience with being in space is quite a bit greater than just that would imply. Back on the Cerritos, uh, we start to follow Rutherford's uh, trip through all of the different departments on the ship. And his first stop is uh, a command training program on the holodeck. Uh, and um, It's kind of like 101 command training programs that, because he is so bad at it, become Kobayashi Maru's over and over again. Yeah, this is this is Kobayashi Maru Elementary School. <laughs> it's so hard to do a comedy show about a comedy show because there is no amount of justice that we can give to the idea of the repetition of simulated missions in which kids are ejected into space. It is right. so funny. <laughs> I love that the panel shows the dots like as a mist going out into space. <laughs> that yeah. detail was so great. Tracking the individual bodies of the children <laughs> that are dying. Yeah. I loved it so much. Yeah. So he's he's proven himself to be really dog shit at command. And we'll have to bark up another tree, I guess. I love that this is our B story because we go from place to place and character to character. These are characters that we only briefly met in the first episode, but we we get to know a little bit better as they as they attempt to recruit Rutherford uh, for their departments. It's a lot of fun. But first, let's check back in with the planet. Apparently, there's also a Risa district on this planet. Which uh, I didn't know that Risa was like colonizing other worlds, but apparently it is because there's a Horgon and everybody's in a uh, an extremely revealing bikini. It makes so much sense to me that there would be a Red Risa district in <laughs> in colonized worlds. You know, like everyone just sort of understands what it means when you when you come into a town square and there's a giant Horgon there. Yeah. You know. And then and the fountain around the Horgon is like this semi-opaque liquid. <laughs> there are a lot of horny people walking around, including one that uh, takes great interest in Ensign Boimler and Mariner has to put a hose on 
her. It's a, it's an unabage, which is a kind of alien that wants to lay eggs in Boimler's throat. And she just keeps hosing this lady off until she runs away. Uh, this anabaj is like the dinosaur that got Dennis Nedry in Jurassic Park. She's got the uh, a Dilophosaurus. Yeah, yeah. She's got the she's got the flappy face. Yeah, got the flappy face, and she spits a semi opaque liquid that smells like a cum tree. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but again, like uh, just another instance of Mariner saving Boimler's ass and and this is starting to add up. It's not just a sense that Boimler is is grateful for Mariner being there or or anything else. He's starting to feel just bad about himself and about his place in Starfleet as these incidents add up. Like recognizing that you've been naive is a hard feeling. And I think that like one of the things I really appreciate about this show is that that feels like a really authentic experience he's going through, like learning about yeah. the the limits of his own knowledge. He's someone who has committed to his track while Rutherford is flexible enough to feel like experiencing many different tracks. And it's interesting to me that we're getting both stories in the same episode, right? Like, Boimler coming to the realization that maybe no track is right for him and maybe <laughs> he belongs on an asteroid somewhere by the end of it. And Rutherford yeah. has the benefit of all of these options and it's the same episode. Uh, Rutherford uh, tries out Six Bay. Um, he's got uh, a real knack for the uh, internal medicine part of Six Bay, but Really sucks a lot of ass at the bedside manner part. It's not like Dr. Katz is any better at bedside manner, though, right? No, I mean, I, I kind of feel like Dr. Katz somehow knows just to, like, delegate that part <laughs> to yeah. Ensign Tindy. Yeah, you never saw Pulaski, like, get in there and really love on a person for their benefit. Unless that person was Commander Riker's dad, who she definitely fucked. Yeah. She had, like, a provisional kind of love she could show people you know mm -hmm. like school administrator kind of way i feel like right so she she you know basically breaks it to rutherford this this is not your speed kid try something else out and so he goes and uh, tries out being in security and this is another holodeck uh simulation scene but this one goes much better than the first Turns out uh, this implant that he has actually gives him a little bit of an edge in matters security. Shax is the security chief that is running him through the simulation, and uh, it is a just fucking bloodbath. It's a it's a blood and sparks bath <laughs> in this dojo. Yeah. It's fantastic. In the name of the prophets, I put people into that simulation so they can learn how to deal with defeat. He was not supposed to be this good. This was this was like this was supposed to be a Kobayashi Maru. And uh he does a great job with it. Shax is a very Brock Sampson from Venture Brothers kind of character. Like hmm. totally needle pegging masculine. And he's Bajoran, which is It's a hell of a combination. He's got that kind of Kira Norris energy. Yeah. I, I bet we'll find out that he was in the resistance or something. Yeah. This scene, Ben, 
maybe more than any other evoked a feeling of TNG because of its score. The music score when the Borgs appear mm. feels very related to the Best of Both Worlds episodes yeah. and, and those musical cues. I thought they did a great job calling that back. Yeah. I like the design of the Borgs too because, you know, it's not, there's not as much detail as you get in a live action thing. But I thought that the like choices that they made in terms of like how to make them look like Borgs were, were good. Yeah, I thought the same. He gets the the pat on the shoulder and uh, looks like looks like he's found a home, Adam. Back on the planet, we get a really interesting version of the pattern we've been seeing before where Mariner is right because of her experience and Boimler is wrong. But Boimler witnesses an assault on an old in this bar. And then, I mean, there is a bar fight that occurs, but... Instead of really leaning on a specific experience, what you get is just a social comfort that Mariner possesses that Boimler doesn't. Like, there is a type of person that can break up a bar fight by buying a bunch of rounds, and there are other types of people that would never think to do that. <laughs> and and Mariner is the former, and Boimler is the latter. And this is maybe the most devastating example because it is so nonspecific. It's so it's a, it's more cultural than it is book learned. Yeah. Well, and I also feel like he's getting his ass kicked in this bar fight not because anyone is specifically fighting him because the bar fight breaks out because like, you know, somebody gets hit with a thrown chair or something from across right. the room, but because he's just kind of like inserted himself into the situation like he is getting you know, caught in the nuts and having people smash bottles over his head uh, just as part of the melee. Like there's like even more shame in that, that it's it's not even that like somebody set out to kick his ass. It's that he was in a situation that went left and inevitably got his ass kicked because <laughs> he just doesn't know how to carry himself. I don't think the episode is doing this intentionally. And I think this is this is definitely me projecting onto it, but how interesting is it to see someone disillusioned with the lack of power that their uniform really wields, like in a certain circumstance? Like Boimler believes that his uniform gives him safety uh, going through this part of town. He thinks it gives him authority in breaking up a bar fight. It never does quite what he's expecting. And when it fails, he he looks at his comm badge and he's like, this is stupid. No one is respecting this. Yeah. Well, this is a kind of long-standing trope in Star Trek. The, the true believer finding out that people that are not in Starfleet don't actually give that much of a fuck about Starfleet. Right. I don't know why his pants are around his ankles when uh, Ensign Mariner comes out of the bar after the fight to like check on him, but he's like bruised and bloodied and he's got shrapnel in his leg uh, and he's and he's sitting there with his pants around his ankles and she like makes a, a balm out of some nearby vegetation. Who told you to put the bomb on? And this just is the final twist of the knife. Like, oh, fine. You know about some local herb that you can use to heal my wound. Great. I wouldn't expect you to know this, Ben, but when you have really developed calves that are like melons down there, it's very hard to roll up the bottom of your pants over them. So sometimes you just have to drop your pants from above in order to get at a thigh area, you know? If uh, if you're trying to imply that I don't have athletic legs, Adam, uh, 
I think that all of the evidence I need to the contrary is attached to my body. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for tilting the camera down so I could see. And now we're stuck here. That's what I get to look at for the rest of the episode. Thick shits. It, you've got thick calves with two C's and two V's. <laughs> Edson Rutherford is getting uh, inducted into the security team. They are very happy to have him. No, like, hazing the rookie kind of energy happening here when uh, when Lieutenant Shax brings him into, into the security room. Uh, the security team are called the Bear Pack on this ship, and uh, they are happy to have a, a new member. A real variety of body types and uh, amounts of hair for a group that calls themselves the Bear Pack, though. (laughs) They're not going to be selling too many of their annual calendar for charity, are they? I think I see a couple of uh, security people calling themselves bears when they're actually otters. (laughs) Uh, but as as this speech is going down and he's being uh welcomed to the fold he sees somebody crawl out of a jeffrey's tube and uh he feels the beckon of the tube adam the tube is calling his true home is in the tube he's titillated by that tube uh because the door is wide open like he can see all the way in it yeah it's a well-kept opening Again, he has that moment with his uh, his new department family where he, he walks right up to the edge of thinking that he's going to be ostracized and hated for his career decision. But he's he's supported. That is outstanding. Gotta be true to yourself. Am I right, Bears? Yeah. Utterly. Real nice. At a certain point, it's going to feel hostile. Like, I, I don't think we're there yet, but... But the cult-like yeah. qualities of this glassy-eyed support, it definitely feels like, uh, sure, you can leave the cult, and then you walk down the dirt road, and then you're shot in the back before you reach the gate. Totally. On the planet's surface, uh, Mariner and Boimler have found themselves in a kind of gloomy woods, and a Ferengi comes out from behind a tree and is offering them a safe passage. He says he's got a shuttle for a very reasonable fee. He would be happy to fly them back to their ship or whatever. Boimler's spidey senses go off. He doesn't trust this guy, and Mariner uh, is really pushing it, and she she betrays a little bit of her own ignorance in this moment, Adam. This scene is straight out of the one that my parents warned me about when I was little, like, don't accept a ride from a Ferengi under any circumstances. <laughs> he might say he knows us, but uh, that's just not true. To his credit, Boimler comes up with a shibboleth that he can challenge the Ferengi with, and it's the uh, it's the landing code for the planet. What's the, what's the secret password to the planet? If you've got a shuttle, they will have given you this password, and, and, and you'll know it. But uh, this Ferengi does not know it. What he does know is he has a knife, and he wants all their money. And this time it's Boimler that saves the day. Uh, quick work with a dustbuster, shoots the knife out of his hand, and this Ferengi slinks away. I think he would have had a better chance of robbing them had he had one of those uh, swing above your head whip phasers. Give me a profit! Yeah, that would have been nice. It turns out they're actually very close to where the diplomatic conference that the general was supposed to go to. And they spot the shuttle, like, 
crash landed right in front of it and the general like sleeping off his his drunk inside the shuttle so they like carry him up the steps and drop him on the on the stoop and uh and take their shuttle home while the emperor like barfs his guts out (laughs) on his own face like there's an embassy lower decks too you get the sense this person is gonna have to go grab the uh the sawdust and the dustpan. Uh, <laughs> gonna have to gonna have to go to the janitor's closet for some some awful supplies that you never want to use. On their way back, uh, Mariner, embarrassed about not having correctly identified a Ferengi, uh, begs Boimler to uh, keep her secret safe, and he does promise uh, only to smash cut to the bar on the ship where he is. Uh, holding forth raucously to a bunch of people, telling everyone what an idiot Mariner is for confusing a Bolian with a Ferengi. Weak people are often stronger than they should be, you know, during their rare wins. And this is what Boimler's doing here. I think the episode does a great job in not completely telegraphing what had happened with the Ferengi. Like, we don't angle on Mariner during that incident and notice any sort of code happening between her and that character we only get a sense for the truth once mariner leaves 10 forward basically being laughed out of the room which i don't think is a is a common occurrence for her she goes back to her bunk and uh and is able to facetime this ferengi uh setting up clearly that this was this was a bit that she did on Boimler for his benefit. She saw that he was like really crashing and losing his own sense of self-confidence. This Ferengi is a friend of hers and she arranged for him to put on this scene. The button on the episode is Tindy and Rutherford in a Jeffrey's tube. Uh, Tindy's watching this uh, pulsar that she's been wanting to watch uh, on an iPad while Rutherford does engineering work you know the the whole reason for him going on this career journey was to was to free himself up to watch this pulsar but uh but what what tendy really wanted was just to spend a little time with him yeah i mean this is a lesson that a lot of people don't learn until until very late in life too late in life even that you know like two people can do their favorite things together you don't have to convince the other person to like what you like in order to be happy or to have a good relationship so uh, i like their i like their chances if they're gonna if they're gonna hook up i think this is a good start it's a nice way to be you know we have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention who are you those klingons ben did you like this second episode of lower decks I really liked it. I think I liked the first one maybe a little bit better, but uh, this I thought was fun and funny. Lots of good gags and a fun expansion of the universe. And uh, yeah, overall, just uh, just very a very pleasant watch. I am going to take the position that I like the second episode more than the first. Uh, I think it. Wow! What the fuck? I know, right? You're wrong. Dead wrong. <laughs> I get the feeling that Boimler is what Wesley Crusher should have been. Like, if if Crusher was more like Boimler in those early seasons of TNG, I think he would have been better liked. There's an innocence to him without the cloying 
youthful bullshit that we got. Boimler's crisis of of career is something that I feel like we can identify with in a way that that Wesley was just extremely difficult to to find empathy for. And I think it might be because Boimler has not been set up to be a genius. You know, he's just yeah. a tryhard, and that's a very different cat. Uh, it's interesting to hear you say that because I really felt like in this episode, the character of Mariner felt like maybe a version of a Wesley character where huh. because of what her parents do, she probably spent so much time on starships that like, I mean, that they talk about this, right? Like she doesn't study. She doesn't read up on stuff. She just seems to have this kind of horse sense about how to act in situations. And right. I kind of got the feeling that like maybe maybe her like disaffection with Starfleet owes to the fact that it it is easy for her in the way that it was always easy for Wesley. Hmm. Yeah, I like that read too. It's interesting to consider when you're sketching out characters for a brand new Star Trek show and storylines, just how much the idea of those character dead ends that we've already experienced might be uh, inspirations for our new characters in a show like this. Yeah. Like, I wonder to what extent that may be the truth. Well, do you want to see if we have anything in the Priority One inbox for this episode, Adam? Yeah, I think we do. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Stephanie, and it's to Dave. Message goes like this. Happy birthday to the best husband and dog dad around. Wanted you to celebrate with your favorite Max Fun hosts. Aww. I love you very much and excited to share all your birthdays with you. All birthdays everywhere. So uh, <laughs> Dave's birthday is August 21st. Uh, this episode coming out on the 18th. Ben, we did it. Reggae horns and party poppers all around. We actually did a priority one message in time for a friend of DeSoto's birthday. I don't think it's ever happened before. It's incredible, the feeling. Glad we could do that for you, Stephanie and Dave. Yeah, and happy birthday, Dave. Um, Our second priority one message here is of a promotional nature. Due to the pandemic, I am without a job and in need of some gold-pressed latinum. I've spent the last 12 years in the film exhibition industry, most recently as a film programmer and director of operations. I will be graduating with an MBA from Colorado State University in May and would be happy to switch industries to put my new skills to use if anybody might have a position for me or know of a good lead. Please let me know. Wouldn't you love to be able to discuss the pod at work? (laughs) Wow. Uh, I like I, I like throwing in a little incentive at the end there. That's fun stuff. Um, the call to action is as follows. You can check out my resume at friendofdesoto.com or email me at michael at friendofdesoto.com. Live long and prosper. Uh, you and I actually know this person, Ben. This is Michael Putlack from, uh, from Fort Collins. Many years ago, we had talked about doing a, a Greatest Gen Con, like, convention. And he was something that we worked... He was someone that we worked fairly close with. It did not end up actually happening, but uh, 
I was impressed with with Michael's deal, and I mean, moreover, the idea of using a promotional P1 as a job posting board. I like that kind of pluck. I like the pluck of registering friendofdesoto.com as a personal professional development website. <laughs> I wish we had that. I wish we had everything related to our show in that way. But uh, you win this time, Michael Putlack. If this P1 works out and Michael gets a gig, I say he keeps the website. But if, uh, Michael, like, please reach out. And if in a couple months, if you're still on the job hunt, uh, holler at your boys and maybe we can buy that domain off you and give you a little scratch to uh, keep the lights on around there. Good idea. But sincerely, like, Michael is, like, a super capable, uh, like, organizer and doer of, of projects. Like, we we were, like, really impressed with his work ethic and capabilities. So I would uh, I would say now if, if he has an MBA now, like, he can only be better than when we talked to him. Yeah, use us as references, Michael Putlack, and then uh, and then play this P one in your in your job <laughs> interviews. That's what I would do. Yeah, uh, his his greatest weakness is that he cares too much. <laughs> well, uh, if you care about the greatest discovery and are looking for a way to support it, you can do like Michael and Stephanie. You can go over to maximumfund.org/jumbotron and uh, purchase either a personal or commercial priority one message uh, both of which go a long long way in supporting the production of the greatest discovery i spent a lot of last week sick in bed and one thing i was so happy i had when i needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was factor meals Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for Below the Belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit, plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off, plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. 
Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Here's what I'm going to say. We're, we're two episodes in, and I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here. I, I think I okay. might be changing my, my Edward Larkin game at this moment. I'm going to say it's Mariner until it's not. She's the, <laughs> she's the king of the mountain, and I think it's up to anyone else to dethrone her for me. Second straight episode where she's been drinking a ton and partying and clearly having the most fun of anyone on the show. I mean... Come at her. Wow. Uh, I'm going to give it to Quimp, the the Ferengi. We learn his name is Quimp later on. Mm. And specifically for the the FaceTime call when we get to see like what he actually wears. Not his not his bandit costume that he uh, wears to mug Boimler, but his uh mm-hmm. His actual his actual costume features a monocle, which I just I thought was very funny. Uh, and and he is also having a great time in that conversation, like a real like, yeah, we're uh, we're old time buddies, you and me. Those with especially sensitive ears, Ferengi like ears, will have recognized the voice actor for Quimp as Tom Kenny, aka the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. That's amazing. Yeah, got some real talent coming through on this show. Yeah, well, what do we have coming through on the third episode, Ben, of Lower Decks? Well, speaking of that episode of TNG where the Ferengis have whips, it looks like they wind up on a planet that is geologically very similar. A lot of, like, crystals happening mm-hmm. and some kind of, like, I don't know, like Lord of the Ring orc type type aliens living there. We got an Anybody Canyon situation? It seems like we may. In fact, have an Anybody Mm. Canyon situation. Uh, But also, there was a very brief shot of the outside of the ship, and it looked like it was covered in graffiti in the promo for next episode. So I'm very curious as to what that was about. uh, Interesting. Any any shot you see of the 
of the interior of the ship, there seems to be like a countdown happening. So maybe uh, maybe something bad is going to befall the ship unless they can fix something before time runs out. Well, uh, most Star Trek press has been getting the first four episodes. You and me slumming it with the first two. We're going to watch it for the first time with everyone else on Thursday. I'm, I'm growing more and more excited about this series, Ben. I'm really liking Star Trek Lower Decks. Hope you are too. Indeed. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm excited for next week, but we're going to have to leave it with Rob's, 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 Rob's from here. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Check out his YouTube page. He makes some awesome recipes. The best way to support our show is by heading to MaximumFun.org join and becoming a member. That way you can hear all of our bonus episodes and help keep the show alive. It also helps if you leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle Greatest Trek. Those social channels are led by the great Bill Tilly. Thanks, Bill. We appreciate you listening and subscribing. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.